I've had a good lunch. <clears throat> Is everybody sufficiently warm and drowsy? <laughs> Maybe it was really appropriate that we talked about dullness <laughs> just before lunch. <clears throat> so, to the degree that you do experience dullness, like you to practice the things that we talked about. And um, the standing up and walking meditation are a little bit difficult antidotes to apply in this setting. But certainly uh, clenching your muscles and holding and releasing, if you feel dullness, Please try that one. And taking a really deep breath, just totally filling your lungs and then letting it out slowly. That's another one that would be really good and appropriate to try here. And uh, opening your eyes. So uh, do what you can to combat dullness. Uh, Strong dullness here. Drowsiness, sleepiness, that, that sort of dullness. If you're just feeling real relaxed and happy, but you're not getting drowsy, that's all right. <laughs> Although there's, there's always the risk that uh, it's going to become sleepiness, but <clears throat> when it does, you can take action. Um, <clears throat> so. Let's talk about distraction before we meditate. And I'd like to give you a definition of a distraction. When you have intentionally chosen to pay attention to one thing, anything else that tries to take your attention away is a distraction. Okay? So, To speak of anything as a distraction presupposes that you've intentionally chosen something to pay attention to. So you're out for a walk and you notice this and you notice that and everything else. Those aren't distractions, right? Or if you say to yourself, uh, I'm going to let my attention go anywhere it wants in terms of my bodily sensations, none of those are distractions. But a sound that would draw your attention away is a distraction. Okay? If you choose to keep your attention on the sensations of the breath of the nose, then anything that would take you away from that is a distraction. Anything that would take attention away from that is a distraction. So we've defined a distraction. Okay? Now, in your peripheral awareness, there's all kinds of things present that aren't trying to take your attention away. So they're not distractions. They're not distractions until they begin to compete with your attention. And this is where the 
alternating attention comes in. Everybody have a really good understanding of alternating attention from what we did before lunch? Because, uh, so I want you to, to think about it, and if you're not clear, we'll, we'll talk about that and try to get clear on that. Because <clears throat> some of you have got dozens of things, jillions of things coming and going in your peripheral awareness. You've chosen to pay attention to the sensations of the breath at the nose. When one of those things begins to stand out from the background, it has become a distraction. What makes it stand out from the rest in the background is that your attention has started alternating with it. Very quick flickering movements, but it's those quick flickering movements of attention that make that particular object stand out from everything else in the background. <clears throat> and I'm sure you've had that experience, and, and in a few moments we'll have the opportunity for you to apply that understanding to what you experience. But here I am, focusing on the breath of my nose, beginning of the in-breath, end of the in-breath, pause, beginning of the in-breath, end of the out-breath, pause, and I'm staying with it. I'm not getting lost. I'm not creating. But there are some things that are really standing out from the rest in the background. Could be the sound of a bog dog, a bog barking. Could be the sound of a dog barking. Uh, could be uh, a, 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 an itch or an ache or something like that that you feel somewhere. Uh, it could be a thought. Okay. But as long as the main focus of your attention is the sensations of the breath, and these other things that stand out from the rest in the background are, in a sense, kind of off to the side, then we call them subtle distractions. Okay? And so you've had that experience. You're following the breath and it feels like your attention is pretty continuous continuously on the breath, but there are a few things that are standing out more significantly than other things in the background. And so those are subtle distractions. Now, and, and, and what's happening is the attention is mostly on the breath, but every now and then it pops over to one of these things, and so you've got a few things standing out because every now and then attention is doing that. If attention starts moving more often to one of those things, it will grow in prominence. At some point, attention could be moving back and forth enough so that it's on that distraction as often as it is on your meditation object. So you have this sense of, of uh, attending to both of them at once. <coughs> Now that's, that's a very fine point. I mean, up to that point, your attention is more on the meditation object than it is on the distraction. And past that point, the attention is more on the distraction than it is on the meditation object. So that little vanishingly small, uh, if you tried to discern it, maybe very difficult to pick out point 
it, it, it serves a, as a kind of a marker for us. We don't know, need to know exactly where it is, but as long as it's clear to you that the meditation object is more, is more prominent than the distraction, the distraction is a subtle distraction. When you find yourself on the other side of that line, where you are, your attention is more on the distraction than it is on the sensations of the breath, we call it a gross distraction. We've got subtle distractions and gross distractions. <clears throat> and uh, so it's, it's displaced the meditation object. You're still following the breath. And there may not even be any perceptible gaps in your attention to the breath. But you're definitely, you know, it could be, it could be a little voice in your head. It could be a thought. And it's, you know, this thought is definitely much louder and, and, and apparent than the breath, even though there's not any obvious gaps in the breath. So from that point, it's a gross distraction. And what very, very often tends to happen uh, because it has sufficient attractiveness, and especially compared to the meditation object, because it has sufficient attractiveness, it's going to be garnering more and more attention all the time. At some point, the sensations of the breath have just become part of the background. They're getting no attention at all. And very typically, it's only a short matter of time before the breath isn't even present in peripheral awareness. It's gone. You've forgotten it. That's called forgetting. <laughs> and it's a good term, a really useful term. You've forgotten it. You're totally preoccupied with something else. Usually it's a thought. Um, but uh, the, the breath is gone. So we have, we've defined a distraction and we have categorized distractions as being subtle or gross. And we see how gross distractions lead to the phenomena of forgetting. What forgetting usually results in, especially you know, early on in your meditation career, is that the thought that caused you to forget will trigger a second thought. Or sometimes if that thought will just kind of lose its charge and its interest and some other one that was waiting in the background pops in to take its place. So you've gone from you've gone from the object of gross distraction to uh, something uh, different, and at that point the mind has begun to wander. So when I use the term mind wandering, I know a lot of people use the term mind wandering to refer to, you know, if your uh, attention is alternating with something, they say that's mind wandering. I don't find that very useful. I find mind wandering is a very valuable term to describe what happens when your mind starts taking a little trip and it goes here and it goes there. So when it's, when it's only one step removed from your meditation object, call it forgetting. 
when it's two or four or 37 steps removed from the meditation object, your mind is wandering. It's gone on a, on a trip. And it can go all the way around the world before you, you get back again. Okay? So this gives us some convenient terminology to use. We say mind wandering, we know what we're talking about. We say forgetting, we know what we're talking about. We say gross distraction, we know what we're talking about. We say subtle distraction, we know what we're talking about. Okay. Is there a name for that occasion where a thought clubs you over the head, puts a bag over you, and, and drags you into the alley, and, and, and you can't stop this this thing on rails until you get to the end of it? You know, I, I, I haven't given it a name, but I've given it a description. We can think about distractions, uh, not just thoughts, but just distractions in general. <clears throat> well, let me say a little more about distractions, and, and then I'll come back to this category. Um, if you think about sensory distractions, they can be quite powerful. They can pull your attention away. But most often, it doesn't go past that. Somebody uh, coughs or slams a door or a car honks outside or something like that, and it yanks your attention away, and for a moment your attention is on that other thing. But usually it's the thought process triggered by the sensation that is going to going to be the real problem. Now if there's a dog barking out there, it can be a gross distraction. You're, you know, you can't keep your mind from spending more time on the noise of the dog barking and, and, uh, compared to the sensations of the breath. So it's a state of gross distraction. But what's usually going to cause forgetting is the thoughts going to come up of why doesn't that idiot next door do something about this dog or, or something like that. You know, fill in the blanks, whatever you want. Uh, or an emotion. You can find your mind flooded with an emotion of irritation and that can pull your attention so completely away from the breath that you know, the breath is all forgot about. Breath Smith, I'm sitting here feeling annoyed. <laughs> so, in 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 the in the way this happens, um, sensory distractions can be really powerful, and they they can become gross distractions. But usually, it's when it recruits some mental activity, thoughts and memories and emotions and things like that, that um, that the forgetting happens. And uh, the nature of the mind wandering is usually, it involves a lot of mental objects. You know, the doesn't mean that other, you know, you, the, the dog barking and the feeling annoyed and the thoughts about the neighbor might have caused you to forget, right? And then some other distraction and ache in your knee might take over from that thought, you know, and then, but, but the point is that mental objects and, and thoughts and emotions play a really big role and generally are going to play a big role in the mind wandering because the pain in the knee is going to make you think, 
oh, I should move my leg. Well, no, I'm supposed to sit still. That's what the meditation meditation teacher said. You know, you're doing all this other thinking, and and you're thinking about should I do what the meditation teacher says or not? And, and actually, he's kind of a jerk. I'm not sure I really, you know, I'm off on a whole other trip. So, most of you have been there, so you, you recognize what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. Okay, so what do you do about the situation where your mind is, your attention's on your breath, and you start to think, this is boring, mm-hmm. and your mind wants to go someplace else? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, what we're doing is now we're coming back to what Chris was asking about. She she said, What about that thought that comes up and it just, it's got you and you don't stand a chance? It got you before you even knew it was there. And you're talking about something similar that it's, it is so enticing, so seductive, it's like, No, the heck with this, I'm not. Go with that, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, we we can recognize uh, certain sort of characteristics of, of distractions. One, they're 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 like the bandit jumps out of nowhere and, and it's got you before you even know it. And there's not too much you can do about that directly because you've been ambushed. So you didn't see it coming. So there's nothing that you can really do about that one. Except plan for it next time. Uh, directly, indirectly there is. In, in the ongoing meditative training, you'll come to a place where there are other parts of your mind that can influence those kinds of distractions and do influence those kinds of distractions so that you're no longer uh, as subject to being totally hijacked. But yeah, that's one kind of distraction. And as far as those go, you know, it's just the sooner that you can recognize that you that it, it either has become a gross distraction uh, or the sooner that, that the period of forgetting ends and you come back into presence and full awareness, uh, you correct for it. Yeah? But didn't you say also that when something very strongly comes back and back, then to use it as the meditation object? Okay, now this is, this is a little... difference between... I, yes, I said that. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about something, I'm just talking about the nature, the categories we can put distractions in, yeah. okay? So something can come along and boom, it's got you, you didn't see that it was there. There's a kind of distraction, like a pain in your knee can be so strong that Okay, I keep bringing my attention back to the breath, and, and there's a different way of, of dealing with that. Right now, we're just categorizing these distractions so that we know what to look for. There's the other kind of distraction that it's, yeah, it's really seductive, enticing, interesting. You know, it's like it it shows up in peripheral awareness, and it it's attractive. And you just feel that pull. Um, depending on the strength of your intention to meditate, which improves considerably as you go along, and depending upon the 
seductive power of the distraction, you can either be in a place where you're still with the breath, you have this, it's a subtle distraction there, that it's a subtle distraction that's very seductive, and so, but you're, you're able to resist it, and you refocus on your meditation object in order to help you resist it, that it doesn't want to go away, so it's, it's still there pulling at you. Or sometimes, less often as you go along, depending on the strength of your intention. But when its attractiveness sufficiently outweighs the, the strength of your intention, you give in to it. Maybe it's just, oh, that's such a juicy thought, I'll just think it for a little bit. <laughs> or maybe you give in to it and say, nah, that's much more fun than this. <laughs> I'm going to go do that for a while. But that's the other kind. It's, it's got some very potent, very powerful attractiveness to it. And so you're going to find yourself in a tension between the, the power of your resolve and the uh, attractive power of, of the distraction. And it's going to go one way or another. But, but look at it this way. While that's going on, this is a really great opportunity for you to be exercising your ability, the strength of your resolve, the ability to sharpen up your focus on the meditation object and uh, to counteract that, your ability to remember t techniques like, okay, let me make the meditation object more interesting, let me play this game with it, let me bring in some other resources to help me resist. It's a great opportunity. As a matter of fact, all these things that happen in meditation, we discuss them as though they're problems, but they're really, every single one of them is a great opportunity. Dullness is a great opportunity to move one step closer to being free of dullness forever. Right? Having a seductive distraction and being in this tension of resistance, the, the long-term result of that, no matter whether you win or lose that particular battle, the long-term result of that is that you're going to be stronger and more successful in the future. As a result, so, so you have, yeah. So they're all opportunities. Think of it that way. It's an important way to think. There really is no such thing as a bad meditation, except for that point where you say, "To heck with it," and either get up and go have a beer or watch TV, or else you say, "Okay, I'll sit here till the bell will ring," but I'm going to have myself a little fantasy, or I'm going to plan this little project, or I'm going to solve this little problem. That's a bad meditation. But anything else, it's a good meditation, and anything else is productive. And there is ultimately going to be a payoff uh, of you persisting in, in practicing in the face of whatever adversity is presented. That's an important thing to remember. Even the uh, bandit-style distraction that hijacks you, uh, as your practice becomes more sophisticated, you have more and more tools to use in that situation. And so those two are opportunities. The opportunity doesn't arise in the moment of being hijacked. The opportunity arises after you realize you've been hijacked.
but it's still an opportunity. So we just make believe that there are problems in meditation because, because there really aren't. There's only opportunity. Anyway, there is another kind of distraction that you will experience. It's the sneaky one. It's the it's a subtle distraction, and it's out there, and you know it's there, but heck, you're not that interested in it, right? And the instruction that you have is to just leave, and until stage six, your instruction on how to deal with subtle distractions is to just let them be. Let them come, let them be, let them go. The only thing is, if it's a subtle distraction, you don't want to let it become a gross distraction. And this other kind of distraction, what it does is it sneaks in, it creeps in. You know it's there, but you don't notice that it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger until all of a sudden you're as aware of that as you are of the meditation object. They're just, you know, side by side. So that's the other kind of distraction. I mean, I'm drawing general categories here. As as you will experience and as you can imagine, there's kind of gradations between these, you know, but they're kind of general phenomena. They give us something to work with. Now, to start at the beginning or to start at the end, because the beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. Well, in the beginning, most distractions carry you away you forget, and you end up mind-wandering in the beginning. So the end of the process dominates in the beginning. But as you go along, you get skilled, uh, you, you overcome mind-wandering, and then you overcome forgetting, and then you overcome gross distraction, and finally you overcome subtle distraction. So. In the end, you deal with the process at its beginning. Um, so the question in my mind is just, in this particular moment, at this particular time, having described it many times before, am I going to start, which end am I going to start at? Um, I think I'm going to start at the far end. If you can recognize a subtle distraction that is a threat. You can guard against it and keep it from becoming a gross distraction. But you have to be, you have to be, your peripheral awareness has to be strong enough that you know that there's a threatening distraction there and that it's either creeping closer or that it's beckoning seductively or whatever it's doing, you have to know that it's there in order to do anything to prevent it from becoming a gross distraction. Which means you have to go through the intermediate steps of developing really strong, excuse me, peripheral awareness that allows you to do that. But uh, when you succeeded in doing that, you you don't have gross distractions anymore. But before that comes the stage of where you have subtle distractions and they keep becoming gross distractions. Uh, 
and left to themselves, they'll quickly become, they'll quickly cause forgetting. But if you have the introspective awareness to recognize, says, aha, I'm in a state of gross distraction. I'm still aware of the meditation object, but it's kind of off to the side. It's been pushed away by this other thing. If you have that degree of awareness, and all you have to do is refocus on the meditation object, and the gross distraction is no problem, and forgetting doesn't occur anymore. But before that, there's there's that period where you're not able to catch the gross distractions and correct for them before forgetting happens. And the one thing is, once you've forgotten what you're doing, you've forgotten what you're doing. There's nothing that you can do about it. Fortunately, there is something that happens, though. And this happens even if forgetting has led to mind-wandering. And that is, there is some part of your mind, an unconscious part of your mind, that you have no control over, that's doing this all of its own volition, but it is unconsciously saying, hey, you know, we're supposed to be doing this, but we're actually doing this. And it notices that discrepancy. And it whips a flag up into consciousness and says, hey, wake up. You're not doing what you intended to do. It could happen after 10 minutes of mind wandering. It could happen three seconds after you forgot. In other words, you were still on the, the uh, in-breath and then you forgot, and then you're back on the breath again before the out-breath's over with. Right? It can be that quick. It doesn't matter, but the fact is that once you've forgotten, any doer, any self, any of this other kind of intentionality is totally out of the picture. You're reliant on this unconscious process to save you. But sooner or later it does. And it says, you forgot. And... Of course, how you deal with that is very important, and, and we, will, we will come to that. Now, what you want to do is, in the process of training your mind, what you're going to do is you're going to enhance that unconscious process so that it kicks in more quickly. If it kicks in quickly enough, you may still forget what you're doing from time to time, but it will never progress to the mind-wandering stage. Now, in the beginning, time-wise, your career as a meditator, you're going to have lots of forgetting, leading to long periods of mind-wandering. And you're going to work your way back through this step-by-step. You're going to enhance that unconscious remembering process to the point that now you you recover your way you wake up you wake up from your state of lostness before mind wandering has happened so you still have forgetting but you don't have mind wandering and then you're going to develop the skill in recognizing that you're in a state of uh, gross dullness before the forgetting happens. And then as you get good at that, 
then you'll start, you'll, you'll move it back to the next step where you are peripherally aware uh, of the fact that there are, there are threatening subtle distractions so that you can forestall them from becoming gross distractions. Okay, so you know what a distraction is now, right? It's clear to you. We've defined a distraction. We see how they behave. We see what their consequences are. And we see what we have to work with. And some of you are fairly advanced in the practice and you have lots of, uh, lots of introspective uh, awareness so that you may have, uh, so that subtle distractions are not much of a problem, let alone gross distractions and forgetting and so forth. But of course, there's a lot of you that, and, and I would I would venture to guess that I'm talking to some people in this room that may have been meditating for years, and say, yeah, and I still have lots of mind wandering, and I still have lots of forgetting, and I still have lots of gross distraction. And, and so this is this is what I want to help you with, okay? But you've got you've got the conceptual picture, you've got the idea, and hopefully, does it, does the description fit with your actual experience that you've had? Okay. Good. Well, let's try to stay awake long enough to do something with it. <laughs> So make yourself comfortable, get adjusted, stretch a little bit if you need to. And just become fully present. not going to try to restrain attention right away. We'll, we'll do this in, in, a, in a gentle process. The only thing is, while we're just being present, don't let any, don't let your attention go to the kinds of thoughts that are going to take you away from the here and now. But let's just settle into this and get comfortable, feel pleasant, be happy. Be aware of the temperature in the room, it's kind of nice. It's pretty quiet in here. Just the right amount of background noise to help us. By the way, don't ever meditate with earplugs unless you're in a factory or something. This is nice, is it not? To be able to just sit here in this time, in this place on a Saturday afternoon surrounded by a bunch of really wonderful people. What could be better? 
really nothing hard about this meditation business, is there? I mean, what could be easier? Now that you're settled into the present, comfortable, at ease, just leave the thoughts in the background. Let attention go to sounds, body sensations, anything else. The, the thoughts are not. The thoughts can be there in peripheral awareness. If you're not going to let attention go to. needs them anyway. And those thoughts have they have a disturbing quality. Now these sounds aren't too important, so we'll just let them we'll let them slip into the background of peripheral awareness. Restrict attention to sensations in the body. And as a matter of fact, enjoy the sensations of the body. And of course, if there's any tension anywhere in the body, just let go of it, relax it. Should you need to adjust your posture, this is the time to do it. Not just your, your spine, but the location of your feet and how your hands are resting. doing this on your own, move on to the next step whenever you feel ready, but right now as a group what we're going to do is we're, we're going to take the sensations produced by the breath anywhere of the body, and that's going to become the object of our attention. We're going to let all of the other body sensations slip into peripheral awareness. They'll continue to be there, along with the thoughts, along with the sounds.
and use attention to explore the sensations produced by breathing in the abdomen, the chest, the shoulders, around the nose, wherever. Notice how strong and prominent the movements are of the abdomen. Nothing subtle about that at all. Expansion and contraction of the abdominal wall. Movements between the skin and your clothing. There's not a lot of detail evident in those abdominal movements because they are so gross. They are they're, they're big movements. Involve a lot of a lot of tissue. Plus you don't have a lot of nerve sensitivity in the skin of the abdomen. Compare that with the movements in the chest and the shoulders, much more subtle. Now direct your attention to the breath sensations at the nose. There's actually no movement of your body there. What you feel is just the air moving over the skin, over the, over the tissues. But the nerve endings there are much more sensitive. So 
but at the same time much more subtle than the movements in the other part of your body. But it's also, there's more, there's a heightened sensitivity. A lot more detail is evident. So let's let's anchor the attention to those sensations at the nose. And we'll still be aware of the chest and the abdomen and peripheral awareness same way we are all of the other sensations in the body and the sounds and the comings and goings of thought. your attention anchored to the sensations of the breath at the nose, become aware of subtle distractions. There's bound to be some. For me, the sound of the air conditioning stands out. Not at all unlikely that most of the thoughts that pass through your mind have the strength that makes them a subtle distraction. takes a bit of skill, takes a little bit of time to develop, and if this is the first, your first time doing it, don't, don't expect too much of yourself, but I just want you to spend some time working on simply keeping your attention on the sensations of the breath of the nose as well as you can, while at the same time being aware of the presence of subtle distractions and, and how they do stand out from everything else in peripheral awareness. And when your attention drifts, just, just bring it back. That's not important. It's just, you know, go back and, and see if you can do this. Anchor the attention, enhance your awareness, and specifically become aware of subtle distractions.
way of talking about this, attention, peripheral awareness, subtle distractions that stand out from the background, is a... Does this make sense to you? Is there anybody that you don't have a direct experience of this now? Anybody for whom this description doesn't match what is going on with you? Okay. Since I've read, I, I where, what, but in a sense that sometimes it's like you should allow thoughts to come in and welcome them, maybe for tea or whatever, because trying to stop them is not going to happen. But probably it's more like putting in the background. Because if you keep tying up stuff, that stops thinking about it. That's right. It doesn't work. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. And it, it, it does not work. Don't try to stop thoughts. Believe it or not, thoughts will go away in due course. But they never go away as a result of trying to stop them. And your attitude towards everything, if you keep this in mind, let it come, let it be, and let it go. Don't try to stop anything from coming. Don't try to make it away, make it go away. Uh, let it be there as long as it wants to be there. Don't try to hold on to it. When it's ready to go, let it go. If it wants to be there for the whole time you're sitting, let it be there. So this is your attitude towards all this. Let it come, let it be, let it go, don't mess with it. What you're doing, the only thing that you can do is to generate and hold intentions. And certain things will flow from those intentions. If the intention is clear and strong enough, uh, your attention will behave in response to that intention. And if if your attention responds to the intention, your peripheral awareness will begin because it's it's linked to the and, and it, it serves this. So so it's going to start cooperating as as well. So it almost, my, my brain messes with me in the sense almost you know kind of your, your brain what? Kind of messes with me, kind of like won't leave me alone sometimes. And well, I think, uh, yeah, and, and that, that's, that's pretty typical. So there'd be lots of thoughts. And so the only thing, and sometimes there's going to be a lot more thoughts, sometimes there's going to be a lot fewer thoughts. But remember that thoughts are the most dangerous distraction of all. Because once they get enough of your attention, they, they can take over. And uh, yeah, so so they're they're the most dangerous distraction. But you're not trying to stop them. You're just trying to exercise control over your attention. So when you find you're paying attention to a thought, take the attention away from that in whatever way you can. If you, if you're having a lot of thoughts, if the, if you feel like you're being overwhelmed. You don't even need to limit it to the breath. You can you can say you can allow your attention to go to any sensation, any sensation in your body, any any sounds, anything like that. Whatever is necessary to keep from getting captured by thought. And then when your mind calms down a little bit, then you can you know bring the focus in. This 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 way that I'm describing to you. 
of gradually, incrementally bringing your focus in and doing it in a really gentle way. Repeat that whenever and as often as you as you need. Your goal is to bring attention under control, you know. And sometimes the best way to do that is to give attention a bigger cage to move in. Ah, I need a new battery. Um, Thank you, Blake. You counted? that on alternate Tuesdays I'm really good at this and on other alternate Wednesdays after the first full moon I'm, I completely have never meditated before in my life mm-hmm. and then it, and then I go back to being oh, kind of okay it, there doesn't seem to be any linearity in my progress well I I would hope that there that you would find some linearity but it's, it is not a perfectly linear process by any means. Um, you're, you do get better at all of these different skills over time, but, you know, I'm not sure what role the full moon plays, you know. Yeah, you got a few werewolf genes or something, you know. Circuit clock in the sky. But definitely, there are all kinds of uh, things that happen environmentally and socially and physiologically and everything else. That you know, every time you you sit down, you you, you have a different starting position. Yes, that. But the linearity comes. You know, there's the ups and there's the downs, and there's you know, you go forward and you go back. But the what the linearity should look like is. You're kind of cycling here, and then you're cycling here, and you gradually, you know, you're going back and forth. But there are there are more times when you're when the quality of your meditation, as judged by these things, is is greater. Uh, the, the the number of times, the, the frequency, and how long in each sit, and so forth, that you that you can achieve these goals increases. That's the linearity. You do get better at it. And the other thing is because it's back and forth and because it uh, like you'll find that there's dramatic leaps forward. Also some dramatic leaps back. Dramatic leaps but the but the, the the process involves so much back and forth and is rather gradual that it's very, very easy to forget 
how much your meditation has improved compared to how it was a few months ago. Is we t to the degree that you allow yourself to judge your, you know, your, your perception is going to be strongly skewed. And sometimes you have to step outside of that and try to actually remember what it was like what it was like a few months ago before you can say that, you know, yeah, like, there's a big difference. I'm a whole lot better at this than I was before. The other thing that's very important is that is that you're practicing is that you're practicing in an effective way. Because it's so easy, I and mean, this is such an internal thing, and, and here I am trying to explain it to you in words, and I think I've moved to a really important new step by trying to guide you through it experientially. I think that's going to help a lot. But part of the problem is always I say something or someone says something and you understand it in one way and so you act on it in that way. But the fact is it's not really what it's meant. And so somehow or another the way you interpret it actually brings a bit of a hindrance or a problem. Yeah. And of course, I'll just tell you right now, one of the biggest problems that you're going to have is that you're judging yourself and you're beginning to doubt and you're feeling disappointment and frustration and things like that. So know that. And, you know, your attitude, it's so easy to buy into that. Oh, I'm not good at this, right? And that's, you know, you want to recognize it for what it is. Oh, there it is. That, there it is. That, that nasty bugger that keeps coming up and trying to, you know, make a problem here. And just let go of it and, and don't succumb to it. Um, and I, I know in your case you've, you've had a lot of really dramatically successful breakthroughs of different kinds in your meditation. And then I don't get to keep that. Well, and, and then that, that's the way it happens. Although in the long run, once you become, once you reach a, a certain skill level, even your setbacks, you know, even after your house burns down and your husband leaves you and... Uh, <laughs> My dog runs away. Dog runs away, and, you know, all that country western song stuff happens. You'll sit down and have a disturbed meditation, but it won't be as disturbed, and it won't be disturbed for as long. You know, and that's progress. <laughs> yes? How do you understand when, so sometimes when you you forget or you lose track of that you're trying to pay attention to your breath, but you're still attending the breath in the meanwhile, so... For example, you are trying to notice, say I'm trying to notice the, you know, the pauses and the start and the end of each in and out breath. And I can't suddenly come awake and realize, oh, I wasn't doing that anymore, I wasn't paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. But I was paying attention to the breath, like I hadn't been taken off mm -hmm. by some other distraction. But I had forgotten what I was sort of introspectively yeah. trying to do. Yes, well that's, it's the same process but it's at a much more refined level. But you, I, I think you can see it, it, it's really no different. Um, <clears throat> you see the beginning of the end breath, and maybe you see a few sensations in between, and then you see the end of the end breath, and then you see the pause, and then 
you realize, oh, I didn't even see the, the, the beginning of the outbreath, let alone the end of the outbreath. But I was still aware, you know, it, it was still there somewhere. So it's, it's the same thing. It's uh, like, um, as, as your introspective awareness gets stronger, you'll have the experience of knowing exactly what happened. Actually, there were some gaps there. Very brief moments where I actually did go to another thought, or my mind did go to another sensation. You know? and, and so there, there were little gaps. That's sometimes what happened. Or sometimes what happens is that uh, you're still following the breath, but not with the same acuity, not with the same intensity. And so uh, you, you just, you're just sort of letting these things slip by without actually noticing the level of detail. Maybe the way you're attending the breath has changed, even if the object is still right. the breath, but it's right. in a different way. Might be a little bit of dullness comes in, you know. Uh, and the interesting thing is that as time goes by, it, you not only become aware that something like that has happened, but you actually, you know, you have to be catching it really quickly because these things do not persist in memory for more than, you know, second or two at most. But if you catch it quickly enough, you'll actually know exactly what happened. You know, whether it was a gap in your mind went somewhere else or whatever. But anyway, we're, <clears throat> so we're, we're talking to a mixed group here, the different levels of experience and expertise. So <clears throat> I just want to keep coming back to the base level. Now, if you had the experience, <clears throat> attention, peripheral awareness and some subtle distractions that stood out from peripheral awareness, then you're really good for this. <clears throat> you know? Now, the fact is that if you haven't had a fair bit of experience doing this, you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of clarity of awareness of subtle distractions. So don't expect that of yourself. That's all right. If you're in the stage of your practice where you often wake up from a long period of mind-wandering, then it's way too soon for you to be worrying about being consistently aware of subtle distractions. I mean, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't intend to be, and that doesn't mean that when you do become aware of subtle distractions that you know, you you use that awareness to avoid being overtaken by distraction more easily, of course. But you don't expect that. You don't count on that. If your situation is that you're often forgetting what you're doing and having a long period of mind wandering, that's really what you want to be focused on. Anything anything that's happening at a more refined level <coughs> That's just gravy. That's just wonderful. But it, it, it's not what the work is about at this point. So I want to tell you, before we do our next sit, <clears throat> I want to tell you what to do when you wake up from mind wandering. I want you to rejoice. <laughs> now, I, I would guess that the typical reaction 
most of you that haven't, you know, that haven't been practicing for a while, when you <coughs> wake up to the fact that you've been mind wandering, your mental reaction is rather different from that. It's, oh, no, not again. Something like that. It's kind of a negative reaction. It's like, a, oh, how come I can't do this? Yeah? That's totally the wrong thing to do. Okay? Because <clears throat> at time A, you forgot what you were doing. And then all this other stuff happened in between. And at time B, that wonderful little unconscious process said, hey, wake up. You're not doing what you intended to be doing. And there's all this time in between. When you get angry at yourself, you know, it, it's like what you'd like, what you'd wish you were doing is punishing yourself for having forgotten. But that's history. That's long gone. When you get irritated at yourself, what are you punishing? You're punishing the part of yourself that remembered. <laughs> totally the wrong thing to do. Totally the wrong thing to do. <clears throat> And think about it. what's it like when you wake up, you know, and I use this term intentionally, you wake up to the fact that you've been lost in mind wandering. It's kind of like being caught in a dream or something, right? And it is like waking up and, whew, here I am, back in the present, knowing what I'm supposed to be doing, knowing where I am. Yeah, oh yeah, the reason I'm sitting here is because I, I came here to meditate. Yeah, not daydream. It's waking up. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be in that state of being fully present and being fully conscious and knowing what you're doing and knowing what you want to be doing, right? Is it not? Is that not the way you like to be all the time? I mean, truth be told, is that not the place you'd like to live your life from? So when that's what's happening, that's what I mean. Rejoice. It's like, ah, at last, here I am. Yeah. Yeah, so I was asleep for a while, so that doesn't matter. Now you're positively reinforcing that unconscious process that lets you know. You see, if you punish it, then it says, ah, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, but I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> Instead, by rejoicing, by enjoying it, by really savoring. I mean, it does feel good, and it is it is wonderful, and it is where you want to be. So by doing that, it has the opposite effect. So that, that part of you that does the important work is, yeah, 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 I'm going to do it even quicker next time we forget. Right? That's what you want. So that's how you deal with that. So that's the important thing to remember. So we're going to do a sit where I give you you, you, you realize that, I don't know if you realize this at all, <laughs> I, want you, I want you to at least follow this notion here, is that your intention, intentionality, and the, what directs the activity in your conscious mind is it's it's coming from it's coming from and it's supported by the rest of your mind, most of which is unconscious. 
So you form an intention and you set an intention and you hold an intention. The origins of these things are actually coming from from something beneath the surface and once they come to the surface then it kind of builds a, a, an agreement or a consensus uh, to pursue this. So you, you decide to meditate. You say to yourself, okay, I've gone through this stepwise process. Now I'm going to anchor my attention to the sensations of the breath at the nose. So that's an intention that has come up from below and been consolidated and is now being held on to. And you, you, want, you want to become really good at generating those intentions, of choosing the right intentions, of bringing together a lot of mental energy behind sustaining those attempt, intentions. Because really, everything that happens in your mind is the result of, of these intentions. And so this is what it comes down to. When I guide you in a meditation, I'm helping you along because, yes, you, this deeper you, have decided that you want to meditate, but you have this other voice that's coming in, that's helping keep you on track, and it's adding a little force and energy to that. Right? And, and, and that's good. But I'm going to give you, in this next set, I'm going to give you a longer period of time, which means that you're going to have less external assistance, and you're going to confront more of the... Uh, remember, there are no problems, there are only opportunities, but more of the things that we tend to think of as problems in your meditation that are the result of the fact that your mind has not yet been trained strongly enough and fully enough to carry this completely on its own. So, you'll have some forgetting, you might have some mind wandering. Doesn't matter whether it's forgetting or mind wandering, the most important thing that you do is that you positively reinforce through enjoying and savoring and, and uh, yeah, just, just loving the fact that you've woken up again. So you positively reinforce that so it's going to happen more often and more easily. <clears throat> then, when you haven't forgotten, if you, if you recognize that you're in a state of gross distraction, you know what to do, right? Refocus your attention on the breath before you forget. To the degree, and, and like I say, people are at different skill levels here, to the degree that you can uh, consistently be aware of the kind of subtle distractions that are present, be on guard against those sneaky, creepy ones. Thoughts are like that a lot, right? You're letting a thought be in peripheral awareness, right? And um, it gets a little stronger, but you're not supposed to do anything about it. And it gets a little stronger, and it creeps up on you. Thoughts creep up on you like that. When you recognize that's happening, it doesn't matter how you put it this way, if you, if you have the experience of being aware of the same thought either repeatedly or for an extended period of time, assume it's creeping up on you and 
refocus on the sensations of the breath. Try to catch that precise moment when the out breath ends. You know, that's that's the that's the fuzziest, hardest to get one. You know, pick yourself something to do that is going to divert that mental energy uh, away from away from the distracting thought. But like I say, if if you haven't been doing this uh, in this particular way for very long, don't expect don't expect too much of yourself. But anytime you are aware of this kind of thing happening, you know what to do, right? You counteract the subtle distractions by refocusing your attention. Same thing with gross distractions. And you don't feel bad or worry about what's there or what's, what's not there. Yes? How much com inner conversation do you think should be going on when it's about, like, for instance, oh, oh, that was the ending, or right there, the ending of the outbreak? Yeah, or, actually, that can be very good. When we're talking about thoughts, you know, when I said just be present in the room, uh, I think I mentioned to you that thoughts that are about the present, about what's happening, they're, they're the best kinds of thoughts. They're not trying to take you somewhere else. Now, as you go along in meditation, you, you will find that talking to yourself can be very beneficial. You find yourself saying, Thing, patting yourself on the back. Oh, I did good there. Oh, my mind's pretty clear now. Uh, oh, I started to lose it there, but I'm right back. You know, that's all right. Yeah. Coach yourself, talk to yourself, all these kinds of things. You will come to the point where that's unnecessary, but so long as it's helpful, by all means, do it. But keep in mind one thing. Thoughts, especially thoughts in words, this kind of symbolic thought are fast as grease lightning, you know, and they can get away from you. So make make use of that kind of internal self-talk, but always be in, on guard because very quickly a little bit of self-talk, a little bit of narrating of how meditation is going can very quickly slip into a whole self-criticizing dialogue, you know, or something, you know, something totally different. I don't know, because for me now, it, it is something that I'm, I'm hearing echoes of, you know, I see it and then I, and then I narrate it to mm -hmm. myself, and okay. how do you shut that voice up, or, or you don't? Okay, like I say, as what you have to do is determine, uh, is this helping me? And up to a certain point, it, it will be helping you. But there's a certain point where you have the sense that actually, you know, when that echo's happening, there's a gap in my perception of, of the breath. Now, when you start recognizing that, when you get to the point that that's obvious, that's the point at which you, you don't want to be quite as permissive as that thought, of that thought. And, and I'll tell you a little interesting thing about plots. They arrive in peripheral awareness with a certain amount of energy. And how long they persist depends on how much additional energy they get from attention going to them. So when you're, when you're doing this little self-coaching or this echoing thing is happening, every time that's happening, you're feeding it some attentional energy. So you don't want to make it go away. 
But what you want to do is reduce the amount of attentional energy that you're feeding it. And any thought, this, this is something for you to investigate and satisfy yourself because when you understand it, you'll be able to use it in many ways. Any thought can only persist for a limited period of time in peripheral awareness without being fed attentional energy. And by depriving thoughts of attentional energy, they, they go away that much more quickly and they're less likely to come back. On the other hand, the more attentional energy you give to a thought, the stronger it becomes and the more persistent it becomes. Which is exactly why, I mean that's another way of describing what I was saying, a thought creeps in on you. What's happening is when it's in the status of a weak subtle distraction, you're feeding it. And that's the energy that's going to make it become a strong, it's going to strengthen it and it will become a stronger subtle distraction and eventually a gross distraction. So, just keep that in mind. Verbal self-talk, noting, you can say to yourself, beginning, middle, end, pause, whatever. All of these things are useful and can be useful and don't hesitate to, to use them. Um, like the other kind of thing, in, in imagery. Some people, some people are more visual than verbal, and instead of beginning and middle and the end, they kind of have the visualize a wave or a cycle or something like that. As long as that's helping you, go ahead and use it. But as soon as you come to the point of realizing that actually this is starting to get in the way, you know, it's it's producing perceptible gaps in my ability to follow the breath and things like that. That's the point that you know it's time to let these things go. Yeah? A follow-up to that. Isn't the danger, or this has been at least my experience with, with that, are you saying if, if it's about the present moment, it's the best kind of thought? But isn't it in fact about the moment that's immediately passed? Isn't that the problem with yeah. labeling and that kind of thinking is that you're still there... There's, you're, you're still actually missing the freshness of the present and kind of concretizing your experience when you allow that kind of narrative to go on? Well, if, 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 we, <clears throat> if we examine this question of the present moment, we'll find that it's a totally illogical, logical construct. It's a vanishingly small point. And as you become more familiar with what's going on in your mind, you'll realize that everything in consciousness is post-facto, right? So when we say the present moment, we're speaking relatively. You know, if it's in anything, uh, and it depends on the circumstances. You know, when you're just sitting down, coming into the present at the beginning of a meditation, uh, anything that spans the last few minutes reasonably qualifies as as uh, present moment. You have the thought, okay, I should have put my left foot on top instead of my right foot, maybe I'll do that now. I mean, yeah, that's past, but you know, it's it's pretty plenty present enough. When when you're into following the sensations of the breath very closely, then you're in a in a different time frame. But the present moment can still encompass a whole breath cycle. You can definitely encompass that now past. You know, you say, uh, you say, beginning, and the thought beginning is. By the time you say beginning, you're already a third of the way through the end breath, right? That doesn't matter. 
No, I was, what I was referring to is more that, that habit of mind that you get into, say, if you've learned labeling meditation, that you get into that habit of kind of concretizing and, and looking for clarity by keeping the verbalization going when, in fact, in, yes. if you, when you drop it, you're actually more intimately in, in connection with, connected to what's, what's happening. Yes, you're, the, the habit persists after its usefulness, or at least that's been the case for me. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and that, that is one of the shortcomings of labeling, and, and I encourage people, use lab, labeling, but use it very judiciously, <clears throat> is that, yeah, you, you, it, it becomes such a strongly ingrained habit, and really, in, in those kinds of noting practices that teach labeling right from the beginning and strongly reinforce it, uh, I'm not even sure some of the people that teach that are aware of this, but there is a point where they, usually the way they put it is noting ceases and is replaced by noticing. And that what it is, what you're saying is, you've reached the point where that label is a hindrance, that label is a problem, is a problem and you don't want it or need it anymore. But the problem is, if somebody doesn't tell you this, or even if they do tell you this, if you develop this really, really strong habit of labeling, it's hard to stop. Yeah, well, you, you've created a self, a non-discursive self that is an efficient noter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's a, that's a process that it's intruding. I, I just wanted to say how, how profound that, that is, what you just said, that, that little exchange there. Mm -hmm. To me, because that's the magic and the magnificence and the power of peripheral vision. That 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 peripheral vision seems to me to be the current nowness of the story without words. Mm -hmm. Actually, that is a very good point. Um, yeah, there there is a distinct lag. You know, I, I I told you that attention draws its content from peripheral awareness. You know. And there is a lag. Also, attention is a very complex analytical process by comparison with peripheral awareness. It's much, much slower. It's always lagging behind. And peripheral awareness is much more real-time present. Uh, another thing about that is uh, it relates to memory. Um, the contents of peripheral awareness persist in memory only for a very short time unless they become objects of attention. And so most of your ability to recall something that happened in your mind more than a second or two ago is because it has received attention. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Peripheral awareness, that's the closest you're going to get to, to the present moment. Hi. Um, I don't have much um, experience. In fact, this is like my first um, meditation retreat, but I have been listening to a lot of teachings and I've been practicing on my own. Um, I, in regards to what you were saying, the way that I think about it, and again, it's, it's my own um, idea of it, is that it's like... I, kind of think about it less as a garden. Like, my mind is a garden. Sometimes I water it, and sometimes I go and make sure that um, that, that, that leaves, I take them out. And to me, 
um, you know, you mentioned this morning about intention of the meditation. Yeah. So sometimes I am aware of what is in my peripheral mind, and I feel that those are thoughts that I'm supposed to analyze, and that's to me, it's like picking up the weeds, it's picking up the dead leaves. <clears throat> Next time a meditation will be just focus on the breath, mm -hmm. and sometimes it is just um, focus on what's happening right now and sounds yeah. and so I don't know if um, this is my own experience mm -hmm. and well I, I, I like your analogy of the garden as a matter of fact I've used something similar to that with myself and distractions uh, <clears throat> distractions are a kind of weed and uh, actually negative thoughts and negative emotions are they're a particularly nasty kind of weed um, you know, in your garden, uh, you can cut the weeds off, but they'll grow back, right? And uh, so really what you want to do is you want to uproot the weeds. Mm -hmm. right? uh, so the, the, where this becomes re relevant is you, you don't want to make the mistake of trying to stop something from happening or trying to drive something out of your mind, you do not want to give it control. And ultimately you would like to alter the nature of your mind so that these, these particular weeds don't come up again. But what does not work is to have one part of your mind trying to take control of another part of your mind. You know, to create an internal conflict kind of because there's no one part of your mind that has that kind of power over another part of your mind. And the more that that process goes on in your mind, then it, it actually has the effect of, of strengthening somewhat these, mm -hmm. these negative because there's an opposition there. There's an energy that, uh, that comes from it. Really, what you ultimately want to do in terms of distractions, is you want to every distraction that appears in your mind is from some unconscious part of your mind that thinks that this is what you should be paying attention to. To this is what you should be thinking about, not wasting your time on this other thing. Where you succeed and eliminate the way you succeed in eliminating distractions is to bring those other parts of the mind around to to agreeing that, hey, this is a really good thing for us to be doing. No, I don't want to try to push something else in there. Right? So, you, you really what you want to do is, I don't know if you know the, uh, this kind of a, a mythical story about Buddhism coming into Tibet. Tibet was uh, uh, a shamanic culture and filled with all kinds of demons and things like that. And so when Buddhism came in, the demons opposed Buddhism. And so they try to build a temple and there'd be an earthquake and it would fall down or they'd catch fire. Or, you know, It's like the demons were keeping Buddhism from establishing itself in Tibet. And according to the myth, uh, some wise person went and they looked up Pema Sambhava, the great tantric master, and said, we got a problem, can you help? And he says, sure, and he goes to Tibet what he does is he converts all of the demons, right? <laughs> so that now they become dharma protectors rather than demons. In a sense, 
this is what you do. It's not a part. It's not about one part of your mind conquering another part of your mind. No, it's about converting them. You know, you want to turn your your, your demons into into positive forces, and so please be on guard against the very natural tendency to dislike parts of yourself, to regard distractions, to regard the part of your mind that's producing distractions as bad, naughty, undesirable, to regard the part of your mind that generates anger and hatred and things like that as bad. No, it's the anger and hatred you can definitely do without. But you, you do that by converting your demons, not by destroying them, or not by suppressing or repressing them. I guess what I meant to say by we is not as a bad thing, it's more as a, like you mentioned, a negative um, feeling. Um, usually our thoughts that are coming, like I had an experience that was at work, or somebody cut me off and it's still kind of inside of me. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what it meant as a, like, we, not like, yeah. I'm going to pull it off and that's it. Well, see, it's this, like I had yeah. to, like, work through that emotion. It's like, why is it bothering me now mm-hmm. when it happened five hours ago? Yes, exactly. Now, that's, that's, that is a way to use mindfulness is to ask yourself, okay, this thought I had five hours ago is making me feel really bad right now. Okay? And that's... Seeing what's truly going on, you know, it, it is a much wiser approach to recognize that the reason I feel bad now is because of this emotional reaction I had a while ago. That's healthy. What most people do is they say, I still feel bad. What a jerk that was. <laughs> right? instead, of, instead of seeing it clearly as what it is, I'm the one that's making myself feel bad by doing it. The other thing about this is uh, you don't want to try to destroy or block or drive away these things, but there is something much more valuable that you can do. It's to substitute something positive or to bring something positive up in the place of something negative. So when you're sitting there thinking, thinking, God, I hope to sit in soon because my back hurts so much, the tendency is to dwell on that, and it just makes the rest of the sit really bad. But one of the things that you can counter that with is you can say, well, my, my, my back hurts, but uh, gee, my legs feel great, actually. You know. <laughs> this feeling in my hands, you know, this is warm, tingly, I like that, you know. Or your mind, say, okay, it's a little bit hard on my body, but, you know, there is a lot of, of, of peacefulness in my mind. Or you find yourself being a little bit judgmental or uh, of yourself or, or feeling annoyed or something like that. You can call to mind, and this is already to do, it's not cheating to interrupt your meditation, to call to mind your successes and the positive aspects of the practice that you've just enjoyed, that are part of your present moment experience. Or even to just say to yourself, ah, I stayed with that whole breath. Good for me. Oops, I missed the next one because I was thinking that far. Well, that's all right. I'll do it again. You know. Yeah. I'd like to say something to that because I have a very painful shoulder and in the last meditation I was focusing on the nose moving and it came back and back stronger and stronger. This pain and 
finally I breathed into the shoulder simultaneously and I was focused on both, the nose breathing and the shoulder breathing, mm -hmm. and it was perfect. Yeah. And so you can also use the demon in that, ca in that mm -hmm. case, my, my pain, and to breathe with it and you can stay on both, on both um, focuses then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that all right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't handle sure. it differently. Yeah. Thank you. We do. It's time to. We're going to sit when you come back. So empty your bladder, stretch, wake up, do all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, we'll come back. We can give ourselves 20 minutes because I made you sit for a long time. <laughs>